that 85% of your engine wear occurs at startup? Yes, that is correct. And this is where Lower the Friction comes in by putting a protective, lubricating barrier on all moving parts. This now gives you full-time protection to make your engine last longer, run smoother, give you better performance, and improve fuel economy. People across the country are reporting some very exciting results. Go to LowerTheFriction.com, place your order, and enter in promo code SOS to get 5% off of your order. That's LowerTheFriction.com. Hello, everyone. Here we are. We skipped a week, but... We're back. I hope uh, a whole bunch of you tuned in last week to join Wayne McCroy and the great Baldini on his channel. But we're back as always, as I promised. I am in what will be my studio, but for the moment, all I've got up is Gravy Jesus to try and deal with the uh, annoying echo. So my apologies for my audio not being as crisp as it usually is. Uh, this should only last couple more days before I can start doing some things in here to make it palpable. Anyway, this week, of course, Wayne's going to be with me, and your friend and mine, David Weiss, is joining us. Hello, gentlemen. Hello. Hello, hello. Good. Good evening. Let's make sure the sound is good. I always like to check that with the chat room. How's the sound? Because I'm in a completely different location. After a week plus of having the snot beaten out of us, we are in our new house that we bought. But there's so much work to do, it's silly. So it is what it is. So this week, we are going to talk about the Bland Corporation, I mean the Rand Corporation, and a document called, what is the exact name of this document? Stability Police Force. Uh, this is Wayne's idea, because he's got a library and a half going on, which is always awesome. But before we get to the document, 
David's got something to talk about with uh, an incident that occurred in New York. David, take it away. Yeah, on, on May 30th, when the riots started, there was a police van that was set on fire intentionally. Um, and there was probably 10, 15 cops standing next to it, waiting for it to fully catch on fire. Then they calmly cleared the, cleared the road, and the fire company stood down. And the van was obviously filled with, you know, barrels of fuel and some explosives. And they just let it burn uh, to no other purpose than to incite a riot. Um, the video, I, I'll put it in chat for everybody. You can check it out. Um, it's undeniable. And I've been spreading it around. I put it on, uh, you know, I uploaded it to Facebook. I've been sending it to um other big channels and trying to get some people to cover this because you know you judge it for yourself but um it's uh, undeniable that the police lit their own van on fire for the sole purpose of inciting a riot what do you think I say typical because isn't this the kind of stuff that old Alex Jones used to scream about 15 years ago before he had his nuts taken away yeah, you know, I sent it to uh, to Daria, and uh, Alex said two sentences on it, but wouldn't touch it. I don't think he's the Alex Jones from 15 years ago when I briefly walked up to him and said hello. Anyway, we don't need to harp on about that. Uh, how? So, he, so uh, just just to finish, is it's it's the definition of a disingenuous banner for we don't want to say the FF word. No, we don't. Um, Foo Fighters. Absolutely not. Yeah. So Let's talk about the Foo know, Fighters. I, I encourage people to check it out. Uh, I put the link in the chat um, and spread it, download it, mirror it, um, send it to your news media. Just do anything to see uh, um, if other if if somebody big will cover it. That's all. Yeah, I don't really honestly think anybody big would cover something like that, but uh, it needs to be spread around any any way you look at it because uh, you can clearly see what's going on here. It, they can't be too much more blatant about things anymore. I mean, it, it it would be even worse if they were to say, I don't know, put pallets of bricks around for, you know, protesters. It, they to, would never <laughs> use to break into businesses. That, no, 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 those were, they would those never were there to, to, to build know, an igloo yeah. or something. I don't know. You can even yeah. hear people in the video... <laughs> yelling at the police you did this you know the police did this and uh they just stand there they, they don't care if they get they obviously just don't care if people see this i don't i don't get it all right well there you have it folks uh that video is definitely out there and available uh is there a good title if folks want to actually see it david that they can look up it's 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 not on my channel it's on the baller dave channel and it's oh, i've heard of that guy he's trouble he is, he is trouble. He's not a nice guy. But it's um, it's on the Baller Dave channel. I put it in chat. Uh, if someone wants to share it more, that would be great. Um, I don't even know the name of the video. What is the name of the video? It's called it's called uh, Did NYC Police Torch Their Own Vehicle on the Baller Dave channel. Two words. Cool beans. All, All right. right, so we're going to move forward on this document. Crow was going to join us, by the way, but he has been very, very busy getting our Thursday episode out, which is actually going to be with Mr. Wayne McCroy, and we are going to be discussing masks and all that go along with it. It's going to be quite an interesting show. 
So, getting into this, in case oh, you've yes, lived under a tree... Oh, yes, quite a bit of falsity going around this week. Yeah, you think? But just to lead us in here, in case you've lived <laughs> yep. under a tree for decades, the RAND Corporation is a nonprofit research organization providing objective analysis and effective solutions that address the challenges facing the public and private sectors around the world. Sure. <laughs> okay. Wayne, which part did you want to start with here? Uh, well, first of all, let's uh, just go over a little bit of facts about this document. Uh, first of all, this document was put together in 2009 uh, for such an event as what's going on now. Uh, they, they ostensibly put this whole idea together to put together this what they call, quote-unquote, stability police force for the United States. And basically what this is is this is an internal militarized police program. And... Uh, this initiative with the Rand Corporation, they talk about several different ways to go about this. So, uh, you know, within this document, they explore the avenues of, uh, say, calling up the National Guard in certain instances to use them as an internal police force or uh, the military. And uh, they also talk about actually equipping police departments because ideally it talks in the document about uh, training civilian police departments uh, to do these specialized militarized operations and to be able to respond to different threats within uh, the homeland uh, because the reason being is that the civilian police forces deal with the general public more than, say, the military would. And uh, when you're looking at the military on the streets, uh, you know, they don't have as much experience like on the homeland civilian scene dealing with the public here in the United States. So uh, their experience with it, although the military, especially the Army units, have a lot of uh, experience dealing with this type of a situation and doing this military militarized policing of areas, but it's usually in foreign locations where they don't necessarily have any ties to, and uh, it's, it's handled completely differently. Um, and later on, we could talk about there's different army documents and stuff that uh, talk about different ways of doing things uh, with this. So that ties into this as well. But uh, the reason being, I would say, is probably because a lot of these combat veterans and stuff who have done policing in foreign countries, I would say, would tend to have a lot of the uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. And uh, they're dealing with uh, people in foreign countries would be completely different than dealing with your average public here uh, in America where our bill of rights and stuff is a little different than other countries. And, you know, they might actually handle things in a way that they probably shouldn't that, whereas the civilian law enforcement officers would know to handle different situations differently. So that's, that's the whole premise behind it. They want this militarized internal police force, but they don't want to actually have to, uh, utilize, say, full-fledged armed forces like like military forces, but they will in certain situations because they don't really have the full capacity of this uh, special police force set up. So they call this a stability police force, and right in the document, uh, we'll go down in, later, further down in the preface here, where it talks about uh, different aspects of this, where you you could see how it compares them to quote unquote peacekeeping forces. 
and <laughs> that kind of a thing. So you can see uh, kind of where they're leveraging some of these ideas off of when you look at different foreign countries and stuff, uh, like they, the internal French police and the Italian police that we hear so much about. This is basically what they're trying to base this idea on, even the UN peacekeeping forces themselves. So, I mean, they have a lot of different ideas that they outline in this document, how to build this police force and train this police force, and how to implement certain things in the interim until they get this uh, stability police force set up in earnest. So that's kind of what we're going to look at here. And uh, I'm going to go down uh, through the preface. Uh, I think it's down on page 17, if you guys are following along. And uh, we'll just read a section from there. But uh, oh, Wayne, well, we well, didn't drop a that. link. If you guys have any thoughts you'd like to interject? Yeah, we didn't drop a link for this one, which oh, like, we usually drop? do. Yeah, do we have a link that folks can uh, have for the chat rooms? I think I had it in your email there, Jason, if you could just drop that link. Uh, well, I have the document, I have the PDF, but I don't have a link to a, a web source. If you guys wanted to... I'll look for it. Go ahead and start uh, with that. I'll see if I can find one real quick. Wayne, are we losing you? Wayne, All I had was the uh, the PDF. Are we losing you, Wayne? Uh, I'm here. Could you hear me? I can now, but it sounds like you're dropping out. Dave, Dave, you're you're okay, right? Your your signal? Yeah, I hear you. I, you guys sound good. Okay, I'm just making sure. Wayne was cutting okay, out. Okay, we have a little bit of bad weather. We have a little bit of bad weather here tonight. There's some thunderstorms and stuff rolling through, so you know if it goes in and out a little bit, that's probably why. Okay, I think I found a link for. Yeah, I did. I, I've got a link for everybody. Okay. Let me drop this into the chat room before I begin, in case anyone wants to follow along. And over here. All right. Do well, anyway, one of my big things is, is sorry, <laughs> I was going to say, well, you're, you're finding that link for people. One of my big things is I like to download PDF files and keep them because a lot of times these things disappear from the Internet pretty fast. So if I find something good, I download it and keep it. So that's that's why, basically, whenever I send you something, it's mostly a PDF file because that's what I do. I have uh, quite a large digital library because of this. I'm, I'm just a collector of documents like this, and I try my best to read through most of what I find or at least a portion of what I find. But, uh, I mean, I've, I've got literally thousands upon thousands of documents like this uh, just sitting here on a digital file. Uh, just for things like this, because you never know when they're going to decide to roll out one of their plans that they have. So when they do, boom, I have something that says, hey, you know what? They were planning this 11 years ago. Here it is. That's true. All right. Where do you want to start here, Wayne? The need for stability force? All right. Uh, actually, I was going to. Yeah, yeah, I guess we could, uh, if you want to go to the introduction there, uh, we could do that. All I right. I'm going to cut down to page 17 because that kind of put, cuts through a lot of the, the you know. All right, well, let me get this Let's started. Let's see, then. the need for a stability police force. Go ahead. We'll uh, go there. The need for a stability police force. All right. 
Our analysis clearly indicates that the United States needs a stability police force or some other way to accomplish the SPF mission. The stability operations have become an inescapable reality of U.S. foreign policy. Establishing security with soldiers and police is critical because it is difficult to achieve other objectives, such as rebuilding political and economic systems without it. The cost of not fixing this gap is significant. The United States will continue to experience major challenges in stability operations if it does not have this policing capacity. These challenges include creating the ability to establish basic law and order, as well as defeat or deter criminal organizations, terrorists, and insurgents. In some cases, allied countries may be able to fill this gap. Allies did this effectively in Bosnia and Kosovo, both of which were successful in establishing security. In other cases, the United States may not be able to count on Allied support. The United States should not depend on Allies to supply these capabilities because doing so would limit U.S. freedom of action on the international stage. Consequently, the United States should seriously consider building a high-end police capacity. So, judging by what's been going on the past, uh, what is it now, David, eight days since all these uprisings started? Yeah, it it sounds like we're. Don't you think that most people are going to be wanting exactly what you just described? Because some terrible situations happening that the normal police force can't seem to handle. Yeah, that's what. <laughs> oh, so they have something in mind in case something goes down. Something. <laughs> right, and and here's the other thing. Pay attention to some of the language right in there that you uh, you just read. Uh, what was it talking about? It was talking about uh, the ability to defeat or deter criminal organizations, terrorists, or insurgents. Now, who did the President Trump just declare a terrorist organization but Antifa? Could you see the writing on the wall here? I mean, this this is kind of the whole idea. So there's justification for putting this thing together right, right. there. Oh, by the way, this document we should have said right at the beginning is from 2009. So 11 years ago, this is already on the table. Absolutely. And that's that's an important thing because, uh, you know, these people that control our society from the topmost levels, they plan these things way far in advance. So, you know, the fact that they had in something like this, an outlining document like this, ready to go at any given time here, should be very eye-opening for people, especially when you're looking at the things that are going on right now. And, you know, the false pretenses that this whole situation we're in right now is built upon. And it's amazing how the uh, the, the news media shifts gears real fast with this stuff, isn't it? It's been, what, just a week? It's been a week. And then all of a sudden, the thing that has been the big news story for the past two and a half, three months now has disappeared. Hmm. And all that they're talking about are these riots. It's crazy. So maybe we should take a moment to address that. All of a sudden, there's riots. Local governments are okay with these riots, but God forbid you want to go sit in a Starbucks with a cup of coffee. No, that's that's terrible. Don't do that. You could cause contagion. The only contagion is fear. Right, David? Yeah, and I I find it. <laughs> I always I always get that wrong, but that's exactly <laughs> it. Thank you. I think I need to make a T-shirt with that. That the little crow needs to be speaking that. Nice. The little contagion is fear. The yeah, that's nice. Fear, I thought but... I I thought violent um, protests cured coronavirus. 
Oh, is that what it is? I think so. <laughs> I think that might be it. I mean, if you sit home, that might be it. Who knows? If you stay inside, you know, in you know, at your home, away from other people, that's how you get coronavirus. And if you go out in a crowd outside, breathing the fresh air, that's how you cure coronavirus. Is that what it is? I did see an article that I, I believe Rose sent me this morning, where they claimed nineteen thousand new beer bug virus uh, uh, cases have sprung up because of this. I keep hearing is different that numbers what they're every saying day. Now? I'm and, sorry. And the the thing is, I've asked everybody. Do you know anybody that's sick? No. Nobody knows anybody. No. The closest I have seen are people commenting, saying, "Oh, well, I know somebody." Well, I don't know who you are. It's like you're just a comment on a YouTube. Not to be rude, but it's like I have no idea who the hell you are. I, I could go on YouTube and say I know a zillion people too. But now, do I personally know? I did see one person I used to, to be totally fair now, I'll, I'll be total disclosure, somebody I used to work with at Guitar Center did post that he was he tested positive, and this was weeks ago. Uh, last I heard of it, though. Closest thing I've got. How about you? Yeah, but testing positive means absolutely nothing other than your body's toxic. Well, pieces of fruit can test positive, so I'll tell you what I think about that. <laughs> I, I do personally know somebody that knows somebody that had it. But, I mean, other than that, I they mean, die? that's it. <laughs> no, no, got better. Not that they so, told us. So, you know, it's, yeah, it, it's it's not anything that, like, it's portrayed by the media. Uh, the media at this point is just off the wall ridiculous, and, and people are starting to recognize that. So they're not believing anything that they're putting out anymore. I see people, you know, just regular normal everyday people that normally wouldn't question any of this stuff already questioning these riots and everything too and saying hey they're lying to us about this yeah so it's it's kind of promising to see all these people waking up to this uh you know reality that we're in that you know guess what the mainstream media and the internet and all of that stuff it's all lying to you it's all to set a narrative and you know to try to get you to think in one direction with it and People are seeing that, and I, I find that very, very promising. So I, I think, you know, it's not going to stand for long here. Right. All right, Wayne, where do you want to take us next with this? All right. Well, uh, let's go ahead and scroll down to page 17 of the document here. Let me find it. We'll skip over all the, you know, the beginning things here. It's the table of contents and all of that stuff. Uh, actually, let's go ahead and, and look at the introduction. Uh, this would be on page one. <laughs> go figure. They put the introduction on page one. Wow, that's pretty good. Uh, all right. This study examines the need for, for and options for creating U.S. stability police force to help establish security during stability operations. An SPF is a high-end, rapidly deployable police force that engages in a range of tasks such as crowd and riot control, special weapons and tactics, and the investigation of organized criminal groups. See Chapter 2 for more detail. In its ability to operate in stability operations, it is similar to such organizations as the Italian Carabinieri. Can't pronounce that. Thank you. And the French. Uh, could you speak French too, Jason? Uh, Gendarmerie. 
Gendarmerie. Uh, oh, the Gendarmerie. Gendarmerie. Yeah. <laughs> and the Spanish Guardia Civil. There you go. Croissant. <laughs> That's Croissant. about the extent of the French I speak. <laughs> All right. And the Spanish Guardia Civil. Uh, these are police forces with military status that have been used overseas to conduct a range of high-end law enforcement tasks as well as to train and mentor indigenous police forces. The SPF's focus on high-end tasks makes it fundamentally different from a civilian police force who generally deal with more routine law and order functions such as traffic control and investigations of common criminals. SPF is not a full-spectrum police force. So, (laughs) there you go. There's the introductory chapter where it talks completely about the Things such as crowd control and riot control, right out, right out of the gate. So, is this police force in effect now? I mean, have they already integrated this? In your opinion, not ofi- not, not officially. officially and not publicly, but it looks like they're implementing some plans from later on in this document, such as rolling in national guard and military troops to fill the role for now until they do get this in place. Now, you know how these things go, problem, reaction, solution. <clears throat> While they may not have anything with the things that have occurred this week, we don't know what they're going to roll out in a month. You know you know how all this stuff always goes. Yeah, I mean, when the alien invasion starts, they'll want the troops in the streets, won't they? <laughs> well, here we go, too. If these riots keep continuing, when we jump down to the document here a little bit, need for a high-end policing capacity. What are high-end police? High-end police fill a critical gap between military forces and civilian police. And before I go any further, if they're classified as police, then there are no troops on the streets. They're just police, right? There's their excuse to roll out this kind of thing to act as a military force. You know, a bunch of freaking Robocops running around. But they're not technically military, so people can't bitch and say that there's military in the streets, right? Right. And then they could also say they're not violating the law of posse comitatus. Right, exactly. Which is, again, uh, this is the kind of stuff that I used to like Alex Jones for 15 plus years ago that I have no idea why he doesn't anymore, although I can guess. Continuing on, they are trained to deal with higher levels of crime and violence than regular civilian police and are able to perform such tasks as high-end criminality identification, criminal investigation, special weapons and tactics, which you've heard of as SWAT, Crowd and riot control, <clears throat> and intelligence collection and analysis. Importantly, they are only—they are often the only police force able to counter organized criminal groups embedded in the emerging power structures. And what are we talking about? That's been going on the past week. Right. Not only that. Pay attention there too. Intelligence collection and analysis. There's your contact tracers right there too. That might be a big part of this as well. Well, they can merge. Don't forget, they, they rework these things as they go along so that all these things can be merged in. They've already budgeted for all this contact, contact cre- uh, tracing crap, so who knows what they're going to funnel money into next. Did, did, that, um, did that bill get passed? Did 666 get passed? The funding for all of that? Uh, I'm not sure if that got completely passed. I know it passed the House, and I think it was going to the Senate last I knew. Um, I, last I read, I think it it was well on its way to actually passing. So, uh, and that was that was something to the effect of billions of dollars 
per year to these billion different organizations. For fiscal year 2020, which ends October 1st. So that's four right. months, $100 billion for the next four months. Right. That's and insane. then I think it was a. And then I think it was a hundred billion per year plus afterwards for as long as this goes on. Right. If I remember correctly, because I, I I started reading that. Now that I'm thinking about it, I think that did pass and get signed into law. Now too, and uh, what this ostensibly will do is it will give these funds to any of these organizations, such as schools or churches and things like that, that will agree to only let people in who have their uh, immunity passport, per se, or something equivalent to that. So this will be, you know, we're only going to allow people to enter who have been cleared of COVID and, and have this this COVID passport or whatever they're trying to implement it as. And this will eventually roll over to the whole, uh, you have to have the vaccine to get in thing, too, right. if this goes uh, the way that I think it's going to go. All right, Wayne, carry on. Okay, um, let's go down to the next section there where it says inescapable reality. Stability operations have become an inescapable reality of U.S. foreign policy as the Defense Science Board's study transition to and from hostilities argued U.S. military expeditions to Afghanistan and Iraq are unlikely to be the last such excursions. America's armed forces are extremely capable of projecting force and achieving conventional military victory. Nevertheless, it concluded that success in achieving U.S. political goals involves not only military success, but also success in the stabilization and reconstruction operations that follow hostilities. Indeed, if Clausewitz is to be believed that war is the extension of policy by other means, then major combat and follow-on stability operations should be viewed as two components of the same mission. The organization, training, and capabilities necessary to conduct combat and stability operations are different. Both should be planned for, and the capability to do both should be developed. The trend in the number of stability and broader peacekeeping operations from 1948 to 2006 supports this conclusion. In particular, there has been a significant increase in the number of these operations since the end of the Cold War. Since 1989, the U.S. role has also increased. It has played a major role in several stability operations. Panama, Somalia, Haiti, Bosnia, Kosovo, Afghanistan, Iraq, and again in Haiti in 2004. <clears throat> and many others, such as El Salvador and East Timor, U.S. military and civilian authorities were also involved in rebuilding the local country's military and police forces and in providing logistics to international forces. There are several countries where the United States could become engaged in stability operations over the next decade, such as Cuba and Sudan. In some, stability operations have become a reality of U.S. foreign policy. So what they're doing here is they're arguing the U.S. foreign policy reasoning for also setting this up and maybe even uh, using these the civilian police force as uh, like a, a foreign policy operation like this to to go in and and train different departments in other countries and stuff. And I find it interesting they're talking about Cuba and Sudan. And th this is 11 years ago they were talking about <laughs> this. So it, it makes you wonder, like you know, they're they're using all of these different uh, angles to go at this, to justify setting this whole thing up. 
By the way, I did find the bill if people want the specifics on it. Uh, it has not passed yet. But it says, this bill would provide $100 billion in grants to faith-based organizations, clinics, medical centers, and other organizations which perform testing for the beer bug, tracing of exposure to the beer bug, or services for individuals who are isolating at home. The funding could be used to pay their staff or purchase personal protective equipment to protect their staff. No provision in this bill would make testing or quarantining mandatory. The bill includes privacy protections for the medical information of individuals that would limit how grantee organizations could share information collected with the federal government. Now, by the way, if you have an iPhone or another uh, device that uses iOS, the newest operating system update adds in crap for contact tracing. Don't do it. Don't don't up. Mm -mm. <laughs> bad yeah I, I definitely wouldn't uh, click on anything like that uh, I, you know uh, the whole contact tracing thing this is a logistical nightmare when it comes down to it uh, this is pretty much uh, 1984 uh, when it comes down to it I mean if you agree to let them do the contact tracing thing not only is that for you but I mean that's going to affect everybody around you too so uh, I mean, this is this is some crazy stuff. If they could, honestly, if they could do this, if they could track down exactly who has or has been exposed to a certain germ, don't you think they could track down pedophiles a little better? I mean, come on, like let's let's find a good use for this kind of technology. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't think we even need to go there because we want to keep the video up after after we're done. But I, I think we know where, where that leads to. But it's already been said that they were using contact tracing technology uh, to look for people who were in the riots causing vandalism and looting and all that. So all of a sudden we jump from using it for the beer bug to a, uh, what would we call that? A, a much more personal kind of thing something that they can just accuse you of. Oh, we, we suspect that you were there because of this person, this person, this person that you have connections to. Yeah, not cool. Yeah, definitely not cool. Talk about painting everybody all with the same brush. So that that's kind of one of the things that it really is intended for when it comes down to it. That That's what the contact tracing is intended for, that kind of a thing. Then this ties directly back to the whole idea of a social credit score, which is implemented in China. And, uh, you know, the infrastructure for that exists right here, right now. And uh, they have it in the private sector here. And that's something that really hasn't been rolled out to the public just yet. But uh, it's going on. I mean, it, they have a social credit score for you right now. It just hasn't become a public thing here yet. They, do, it's they do have one. I guarantee it called, it. It's called My Life or something, isn't it? Oh, I've seen that thing. Yeah. Yeah. David, do you know anything about this? I don't know anything about it, but I have a very high social rating score in my book. <laughs> of course you do. You're a very nice fellow. <laughs> Super high. Let me see if I can find it real quick. Yeah, I think it was called My Life or something like that. Or I, I do remember. It is indeed. That. It's called MyLife.com. Reputation is more important than credit. Your credit score says only one thing about you. Your reputation says everything about you. People use your credit score for one thing, whether to lend you money. People use your reputation to decide everything, whether they want to do business with you, 
be friends with you, live with you, date you, and much more. Maintaining a good reputation every day is a critical part of everyone's life. We want to help you show the world how great you are to improve your life personally and professionally. Let me be blunt here when I say, fuck you. <laughs> right. Let me translate that for you. We want <laughs> to control your behavior and everything that you do. David, you, you know, look like you got something. What that's all about. <laughs> people, people are, are thinking that they're just tracking us with the GPS on our phone, but a huge part of the contact tracing is the facial recognition. Mm-hmm. And the facial recognition, when it first started, wasn't that great because it needed to learn. So it said, all right, everyone on Facebook, tag your friends. And then, then, then you notice after a while of tagging, I forget how long it was, all of a sudden Facebook will go, hey, Dave, is this your friend Jason? And uh, they're, they're t- and we're like, yes, no. And so it was learning from that. So now it's got hundreds of pictures of everyone tagged, and it's like, okay, we've they, it's gotten a lot smarter from this. And they say, all right, now what we need to do, rather than just have random shots, we need people to center the phone on their face and stay perfectly still so we can map out their face. So then they came up with those funny apps where you can put a dog face or bunny ears and everything, and you have to hold the camera up. I think it was on Instagram or whatever it was, and people would hold it, and it would literally map out their face. Mm-hmm. And so we gave them all of we that We give them everything. We give them yeah, everything. we gave them everything. And now, now a camera, you know, a street camera, when you're driving down the road with the glare on your windshield, can tell who you are in the back seat. Well, that was crazy. My thing just went nuts. And it could even tell who you are wearing a mask over most of your face now, too. Well, That's interesting, isn't it? They're tweaking the algorithms. Yeah, one of the things I was going to say about all of this stupid mask-wearing crap is that it's probably just another thing for the algorithm to work around. It's like, oh, cool, now you got to learn how to do it this way so it's even more precise. Yeah. All right, Wayne, it's all you, buddy. All right, let's skip down to uh, page 17, research design. This research builds off of Rand Arroyo Center's previous work done for the U.S. Army's Peacekeeping and Stability Operations Institute. Options for Transitional Security Capabilities for America. That study identified and assessed options for manning and maintaining an SPF, or that stands for Stability Police Force. In addition, this research was informed by an examination of and interviews with two types of international high-end police forces. The first type included gender May forces from other countries. Most of these forces had similar objectives and tasks as the SPF. Key examples included the French Gendarmerie, the Italian, uh, or I can't pronounce, and the Spanish Guardia Civil, uh, the Dutch, another one I can't possibly ever even dream of pronouncing, right. and the Portuguese Guarda Nacional Republicana. Well, uh, let me stop you right you there, Wayne, because I, I really know what these think... are. We went over some yeah. of this with, uh, with Giancarlo. It's it's like a police within a police force. They they they're sticking their noses in your daily life to make sure that you're uh, they're kind of like the thought police. Let's put it that way. Yeah, that's the impression I get. Uh, so that that's kind of one of the things they're modeling this on, uh, despite my bad reading of other foreign languages. So 
But uh, let's continue here. The second type of force includes high-end units from international organizations. Examples included NATO's multinational specialized units, the European Union's integrated police units, and the European Gendarmerie Force. They had similar objectives and tasks as the SPF, such as crowd and riot control. There it is again. Criminal investigations, high-risk arrests, identifying and deterring high-end threats, and SWAT. For instance, the MSUs, which that was the uh, uh, multinational specialized units, were created to provide the joint force commander with police forces that have military status and the training, experience, and capability to deal with this area of public security. MSU roles may include information gathering, investigations, criminal intelligence, counterterrorism, maintenance of law and order, and public security-related matters. These high-end police forces provided valuable insights into our assessment of many aspects of an SPF. So that's where they're getting their ideas from for this. All right. Not good. So we already see that they've got tons of stuff in mind before we ever got to 2020. By the way, there's something I want to bring out up about 2020, uh, since the episodes that we discussed this uh, on Crochable Submarine Radio haven't come out yet. We're at a new decade. And if you're a listener of Crochable 7, you'll know that we've done a lot of work and discussions on how the decades seem to be a big old gear switching when the next one comes rolling around. And it's really, really obvious, especially when you're talking about the 50s to the 60s to the 70s. There are very distinct lines where these things just look totally different, feel totally different. The entirety of the society is very different. So where were we in 2000, in the 2010s, and now into the 2020s? I would say it almost looks like they're hearkening back to the 1960s at this point, because what are they doing? They're doing massive social upheaval on multiple fronts. One is to get everybody scared of everything, just like everyone was in a dither during Vietnam. It was the winding down of the whole Cold War nonsense where there was a communist in everyone's bowl of soup and they had to have all these ridiculous investigations and all that crap. What else did they have in the 1960s and the early 1970s? Racial tensions at the wazoo. And come on, man, I, I, I live somewhere where there's a lot of... It's very high. It's really close with the black and white. Nobody gives a shit. Like, seriously. You know what's funny is, Jason, they had a pandemic in the late 60s, early 70s. Um, right in the middle of Woodstock, and nobody was afraid of that. They did? What was the pandemic? It was the H2N2 pandemic. uh, Wow, I learned something new today. (laughs) People died, and uh, in the middle of it, they had Woodstock, but nobody... Yeah, and that killed over a million people in America, as I recall. What? No, not a million in America. It did. No, I think it was uh, was a thousand, a million people worldwide. Was it a million worldwide? I remember seeing something about that. People have been talking about that. So it was worse but, than this, and they held Woodstock in the middle of it. <laughs> and nobody <Okay>. gave a flip. <laughs> Unbelievable. Right. But anyway, yeah. what I'm saying is, what are they leading us into here? Because this is not going away. This is something Crow and I both keep saying. This is not going to be like, oh, it's over now. Everything's okay. When... Government bodies institute major policies like they're putting in, they have been putting into place. They're not going to just suddenly turn them off in a freaking way. Once when they, they have police burning their own vans and delivering pallets of bricks to all cities where riots are, this is not the end. 
this is this is not. There's something big coming. Right. And let's be honest, these things usually come in threes, don't they, David? After all, I met you under the pretenses of uh, talking about some Foo Fighters, if you remember, about five, six years ago now. That's a long time ago. Yeah, we've been friends for quite some time, my friend. (laughs) That was back when I first started doing podcasting and all that by myself. Yeah, I, I, I remember. I don't even know what you were doing then. I, I, I know we had a mutual friend that recommended us to each other, but I don't even remember who that was. It I was doing the away. Deep Inside the Rabbit Hole podcast and uh, exposing the disingenuous banners there and other hoax things. All right, Wayne. It's all you, buddy. All right. Uh, let's continue down a little bit here on the document. The study follows a logical progression that begins in Chapter 2 with an examination of the police and related functions that an SPS must, must, SPF must be able to perform. The results of this chapter establish the baseline for collecting data, conducting interviews, and structuring much of the assessment framework that yields recommendations on how to staff an American SPF and what federal department or agency should house it. This is augmented by the examination in Chapter 3 of the needed size and deployability characteristics of an SPF. In particular, these two chapters lay out our recommendations for the operational requirements that an SPF must have in order to support U.S. stability and reconstruction efforts. Reconstruction efforts. Keep that in mind. Are they really talking about for foreign countries, or are they talking about within the continental U.S.? So, Dave, how do you like this one? Uh, it's a brave new world, and the chat just said, so if we were replaying the 60s, I wonder if there's going to be a new fake moon landing. Well, how about that? They uh, supposedly are supposed to land boots on the south pole of the moon, American boots, with the Orion program right. at the end of tw- 2000. Uh, 2024. 2024. Did you notice that the the two uh, you know McKenzie brother astronauts that went up there had their moon boots on. <laughs> they had they had boots on. Like where are they going? They're going to the space station. They, you, do you even wear shoes in the space station? They had these giant boots on. Have they ever shown that? <laughs> like, what, show- what do they wear? I don't even remember. Do they wear socks? And that's it? I think they just wear socks. Or is it like a booties kind of thing, like a, a, a an all-in-one? Because you don't want anything extra. You don't want anything extra that you don't need at all. Right. Well, Hypothetically. Those, those, those spacesuits are were just the – I mean, looking at the spacesuits proves that NASA and SpaceX are fake. Well, they were designed by a Hollywood designer. So, <laughs> I mean, that says it all, doesn't it? Those spacesuits that they wore – they look the closest to like a Star Trek kind of thing that I that I've ever seen. Like as far as like newer Star Trek, not the '60s. Those suits yeah. looked ridiculous. But those ones looked like um, what was the next generation movie? First Contact. It looked like the ones that they wore in First Contact when the one where they were fighting the Borg. That is what those suits look like to me. What do you think, David? They, they. I mean, those suits. What what is the visor for? How does it seal? I mean, if it's not airtight, what is the point of having any of it? And the one astronaut, he had you know his his uh, um, you know Cohen optical regular glasses on. With all the shaking and stuff, what if his glasses fell off and he couldn't see to touch his 
his big iPad, you know, what would happen? <laughs> well, I mean, the other thing I noticed, you know, the thing you know, wasn't I, sealed. I was watching that launch. We, we did the show. We did the, the live analysis. And I'm like, oh, my God, thank God this is so obvious. All my friends are going to wake up. This is going to be great. I mean, this is, this is a paradigm shift for everybody. And during the show, I was getting texts. Are you watching? This is great. What do you say now? I'm like, really? You believing this stuff? And they're like, absolutely. Absolutely. So as far as, you know, tricking people into what's happening with this, with these riots and everything else, it's no doubt. I mean, people are completely gone on their ability to think. Well, let me draw another parallel to the 60s here, just because of what they, what the, the other person brought up. What was going on in the United States while all of these supposed NASA missions were going on? What was going on in the early what? 60s with Mercury? The next we have Gemini. What's Charlie that? Charlie Manson. Well, that was until the end. I'm talking about even earlier. Like the entirety of the 1960s was one great big upheaval. You have Mercury, then Gemini, and of course Apollo somehow is being made before they can even get somebody to orbit the earth they're working on the stuff to go to the moon how the hell that's supposed to work i don't know that's that's quite a feat i admire that but what was going on the start of vietnam the start of the racial riots people were getting drafted like crazy we had the uh the hippie movement we had the lsd crap coming in and all the terrible uh just all the drugs really i mean we had all this stuff going on in a 10-year period like the 60s was the decade of upheaval and i'm just wondering are they doing that again in the 2020s? I don't know, but I definitely see parallels. Eric, that was awesome of you. Thank you. Totally cool. Thank you, Eric. What do you think, David? The deception is, is beyond. I mean, I, I, there's nothing they can do now that won't surprise me. I mean, the whole, the whole moon mission, will they kick it down the road in 2024? Or are they ready to fool us? Um, I, I don't even know if they'll need real actors anymore. There, there's so much evidence now that they're faking, you know, some of the world leaders when they talk to us. You saw when the Pope disappeared in the window recently. Oh, I didn't see that one. Yeah, so the Pope's speaking from the That's window, sad, and it ended. He walked away, and he literally blinked out like a hologram. Okay. <laughs> um, um, I used to have on my old website uh, evidence that when, when Obama did his White House speech on ISIS, um, it was really, really, really weird how he walked up you know, from the inside and uh, he was the wrong size. He glitched out. He, it, was like, it was not him. Um, I recently saw a video of Boris Johnson um, having all sorts of artifact effects. So, you know, he doesn't even look like a human anyway. So it's um i don't even know if they'll need to kick the can down the road i think they're just going to be by 2024 they'll be able i mean people are believing it anyway so i don't know how much more sophisticated they need to be to really pull one over well since we're on the topic david do you want to give a quick rundown on what you thought about the, the latest launch because this is their excuse to now say that okay americans are back in space with the help of spacex you think that they time these riots um, 
right in the middle of it so people really don't focus and try to tear it apart. Well, that's kind of what I was getting at. All these things were going on, and I didn't break it down week by week, month by month, year by year, but this is the, what was going on. In the same time that they're talking about all this, these great achievements by NASA, you have people riding in the streets trying to beat people, beat each other over the head with bottles. Go watch some of the old 60s riots. They're pretty freaking brutal. Um, and, and I was looking on Twitter... The, the big thing is people are going, yeah, flat earthers, what are you going to say now? And they're showing the picture, you know, of the bottom of the rocket with the curved earth. God forbid they show the, the other angle where it's concave earth. Um, so flat, I think it was Flat Earth Brothers did a great piece uh, ripping that apart today. It's actually the video that's on the Flat Earth Sun, Wind, and Zodiac Clock app today. So if you haven't seen it, click the featured video on the app and uh, and check that out. So when somebody comes up to you and says, you know, what what do you say now? Just show them that because, uh, you know, as I said a few minutes ago that when I was watching it, I'm like, this is great. This is going to validate everything. But people are really lost. They cannot see. Um, was it who said um, there's three classes of people, those that see, those that see when shown and those that cannot see? I think it was. um I forget. Somebody in chat might say it. Um, <laughs> either way, it's a great quote. Um, I don't know. But there, might there's be the pe- same guy that said there's. Sorry, I was just going to say that there, there might have been the same guy that said there's three kinds of people: people that are good at math and people that aren't. So, you know, you got that. <laughs> yeah, I think it was the same guy. <laughs> anyway, it could be. Yeah. But anyway, um, I'm, again, I'm drawing parallels to the 1960s, and I'm going to keep watching this. We discussed it a little bit on some of the stuff coming up on Crow Triple Seven Radio. I think that there's a lot of things that, as always, they found playbooks that work, and they're going to keep using them. But anyway, I don't want to keep beating on that. Wayne, go ahead. Uh, it's all you. All right. Uh, at any rate, just to kind of piggyback on what you were saying, Jason, uh, as an interesting aside, I, I was talking to my mom earlier today, and it just came up totally randomly. Like, I didn't talk to her about it, anything previous or anything. But she said that the things that are going on right now reminds her of the 1960s, which, you know, she lived through and Boom. very thoroughly remembers. So that kind of validates uh, from, you know, uh, a perspective of a person who's a little bit older that remembers that exactly right. what you're saying about the switchover of the decades and how things happening now are concurrent with uh, how things happened in the 60s. And uh, just as another interesting note, when we're being lied to and deceived about everything going on right now, things like space fraud are a lot easier to pull off because people are too busy tearing apart the other fraud to, to focus on something like that. So who knows what kind of lies and stuff they're subtly slipping by right now while they're doing all these other grand things out in the open. So right. it, it's interesting. It's an interesting thing to think about. But uh, back on topic here, I'm going to skip down to chapter two here. Objectives and tasks, and this is uh, from people who may just be tuning in from the Rand Corporation document called A Stability Police Force for the United States of America. Um, So let's go ahead and go there. Chapter 2, Objectives and Tasks. What should the essential objectives and tasks of the Stability Police Force be? To answer this question, the research team interviewed leaders of European SPF-like forces with experience in stability operations and reviewed the literature. The evidence indicates that an SPF should help establish a secure environment in which people and goods can circulate safely, as well as help build a high-end indigenous policing capacity so that the host government can establish a secure environment on its own. 
Its primary tasks should include performing high-end policing tasks, such as identifying and deterring high-end threats, criminal investigations, and, there it is again, crowd control, and building the capacity of local high-end forces. Other tasks, such as convoy security and VIP security, that's interesting, right, can be usually left to other forces. This chapter is divided into three sections. The first considers strategic objectives of an SPF. The second section examines the potential tasks. The third section offers a brief conclusion. So uh, those are some interesting things that it touched upon there, isn't it? Once again, crowd control is right at the, the center of it all. Well, let's jump down to the explanation on that. Uh, let's let's break this out and then we can discuss it. Crowd and riot control tasks involve responding to major civil disturbances. Riots have been pervasive instability operations. In Kosovo, for instance, NATO's Kosovo force and police from the UN mission in Kosovo faced province-wide riots against Serbian communities in March of 2004, which involved an estimated 50,000 to 75,000 demonstrators over two days. Kosovo, Albanians attack Serbian targets and cultural sites. Well, okay, that's all great. Who cares? Let's get down to, in these and other cases, organized mobs may try to overwhelm police forces by employing several different types of tactics. These tactics include constructing barricades, using Molotov cocktails, smoke grenades, rocks, bricks set there by George Soros, or other projectiles and fainting and flanking actions. I'm sorry, that part wasn't in there. By constructing barricades, <laughs> the rioters may try to protect themselves from assault by local or international police forces. Organized mobs may attempt to disrupt the movement of the force by fainting and assault. When the riot force moves to blunt the assault, the mob may assault the exposed flanks in an attempt to split the force and envelop a portion of it. All right, so all this stuff sounds like what we've been seeing this past week. As a matter of fact, Rose sent me a clip earlier today where people had broken into uh, an Urban Outfitters store and the police were just hanging out, waiting for them to break themselves out. I don't know if you guys have seen this yet. This was pretty messed up. And the, the, board, the, the walls were boarded up to prevent this kind of thing, I assume. And they smashed their way out and went running off. Then the police went into it to the attack. They stood down. Yeah, it's kind of disturbing. They did. They did for a while until. Now, I don't mean to be a complete asshole here, but looting a clothing store has nothing to do with supporting the death of a human being. And I'm not saying I I have no idea whether someone died or not. I'm not even going to go there. I don't want to lose my channel. But whether someone died or not is not the point. Looting is looting. It is stealing, and the people who own an Urban Outfitters have nothing to do with that. And that's that's just the end of it. So this is nothing but people just being a bunch of criminals. Right. Protesters Absolutely. And, and rioters are two different things. Exactly. Protesting's right. in our Constitution. It's part of your American rights. You should be able to protest. You shouldn't have to need to go to a uh, free speech zone because a bunch of bigwig politicians don't want you protesting outside their stupid little get-togethers. No, that's not what it's about. In days gone by, when we were more American, and I'm talking about a long time ago now, unfortunately, that's exactly what they do. And if you pissed them off too much and there was enough of them against you, you would get tarred and feathered. That'd be kind of amusing to see for a few people, wouldn't it? There's a great, uh, pretty short video today by Larkin Rose. Did you guys see it? 
about protesting versus rioting and um, you know whether whether you're black or white doesn't matter you know Larkin Roses he mm-hmm. he nailed it um, I'll throw the link in the chat but everyone needs to check that video out watch it a couple times uh, do you have a contact for him by the way I do not you do not okay if you ever come across one let me know by the way, I know people have joked about the uh, the flash. What that is is I'm reloading YouTube so I can keep track of things because it freezes up and won't uh, just won't update itself. So that's what you're always seeing flash. By the way, um, hi the Great Baldini who joins us quite often. He's now in the chat room. All right, Wayne, let, where are we at here? Uh, well, I'm in my basement right now, so, but I mean, and you're in your new house, and, and David, I'm assuming, is at his home. So, uh, where are we at with the document, though? That's another story. Let's skip down a little, because I found an interesting section here. Uh, it's only like a couple paragraphs down from where we were. Intelligence collection and analysis involves generating information on hostile and criminal groups in the area of operations, the environment, including weather, terrain, and civil considerations, and the performance of local forces. It is useful to note that the military and police approaches to intelligence differ in significant ways, though when well done, they complement each other. Whereas military approaches emphasize security classifications and need-to-know barriers to limit access, police approaches seek to push information and intelligence to all relevant law enforcement efforts and personnel. However, police and military still need to work together. Since the assets that a combatant command brings to bear on a theater of operations will dwarf those of any SPF. Law enforcement intelligence addresses areas not traditionally covered by military intelligence, such as neighborhood-level social structures that require a heavy emphasis on human intelligence, also known as human as an adjective there, or as an abbreviation, I should say. Mm -hmm. Uh, Timely and accurate intelligence facilitates identifying and exploiting opportunities, and it depends on aggressive and continuous reconnaissance and surveillance. Cultural awareness is critical to gauging the potential reactions to the operations, avoiding misunderstandings, and improving the effectiveness of the operation. Changes in the behavior of the population may suggest a need to change tactics or strategy. Biographical information and leadership analysis is key to understanding potential adversaries and their methods of operation. Knowledge of the ethnic and religious factions and the historical background of the host country are important to achieving the objectives of the operation. An SPF could establish an intelligence analysis capability that includes a local analysis capability and the ability to reach back to the SPF's parent agency, the combatant command, and the intelligence community in general for support. We explore more of this in Chapter 4, which includes a discussion on the SPF's organization. So, they're talking about intelligence gathering, data collection, uh, you know, knowing how people are going to respond to certain tactics, uh, things of that nature. So, I mean, you could kind of see how this rolls into what we're watching going on today. Uh, this this is what it's about. This, this also, once again, envelops the whole contact tracing thing into the whole question of things here. So, I mean, we're looking at so many different facets of this that are interrelated. I mean, they're, they're, they're even drawing 
the intelligence community into this at this point and with what they're saying in this document so um that's kind of concerning to me like you know it's one of those things the intelligence community has been notorious for their involvement in unsavory things so you think (laughs) to have them with their hands in a, a militarized internal police force yeah that's kind of a questionable thing in my view david you got any commentary on that um, if I can get off mute, <laughs> um, you know, my 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 thinking on this is, they have to be well on their way in, in developing this. I mean, it's a little late now to be starting. So the way the police forces are acting in these riots, um, it, it, it is baffling to me. How can so many people, you know, like the thing that I, the the video I was talking about, how many people can witness that and nobody speaks out you know these these police forces are not the, the police forces i grew up with so you know i think it's already um been you know partially infiltrated does that make any sense yeah yeah absolutely well this is something we were talking about also uh, a day or so ago oh i think it was i think it was with you david you and jaron actually I would suspect that most police officers are just like I have a friend who's in the local police force and he's just a dude. He's a guy who used to work with a guitar set, a really nice fellow. And probably so are most of the people he works with. There's probably a select group and they may not even know who they are uh, as far as the the average B cop goes anyway that will do things that are unsavory. I mean, however you want to describe it. They'll, they'll do the things that they want them to do, like burning their own van. I have trouble believing that a lot of police officers would be that shitty and do something like that, knowing what it's going to do, that it's going to incite more violence and, and get everybody worked up and all that. It's just the level of not cool is through the roof here. By the way, the other thing is I really do wonder if the controllers wanted things to get more uppity during the beer bug, locking people away, shutting their businesses down, taking their money, all that stuff. And most people were so castrated that they just didn't get all that uppity. We had mild bits of protesting. It took a while, but it did start happening. So maybe this was like the next card next card to play. Like, okay, they didn't do much, but we want to get them all, all pissy and, and riling, rile them up. So throw a couple more cards on the table. There we go. Now they're doing it. Look at all those cities burning. I think that the elite are amazed every time we don't push back. They, they that they didn't think they could push it this far, and you know, hey, let's put pallets of bricks out there and see if they don't do anything. Let's, <laughs> you know, they they they're 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 like scratching their heads. I don't even know if they're laughing anymore because it's beyond ridiculous how much people have put up for. Um, you know, the this police burning their the, the police burning their own van in New York City and letting the building catch on fire it should be the the front page news in every country i mean it's beyond it's 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 equivalent to the false flag on 911 I, I said it sorry oopsie oopsie <laughs> hopefully my channel isn't big enough to get uh, to get flagged yet false yeah. flagged haha <laughs> wayne are you with us <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm still here. Yeah, those disingenuous banners, man. You got to watch them. 
Yeah, that's that's for sure. You really do. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, it's it, it's just incredible, uh, just how far we've come with this stuff. And I I would agree. I think they're somewhat underway with putting this thing in motion. So uh, just to kind of support that idea, we're going to skip down to page fifty here. It's part of the in part of the next chapter and there's a section there called speed of deployment so let's take a look at this how quickly might an SPF be able to deploy some international police especially UN civilian police have been hampered by slow deployment several factors have contributed to this including the absence of a standing police force as the report of the panel on the United Nations peace operations noted the process of identifying securing the release of and training police and related justice experts for mission service is often time consuming and prevents the UN from deploying a mission's civilian police component rapidly and effectively. These slow deployments have severely impacted the ability of international police to establish law and order. In Cambodia, for example, full deployment of civilian police was not achieved until 16 months after signature of the 1991 Paris Peace Accords. This contributed to a series of security challenges in Cambodia as international police and military forces, which arrived late and were understaffed, struggled to contain violence between the Khmer Rouge and other Cambodian factions. In Kosovo, however, in the multinational specialized unit deployed only two days after the adoption of UN Security Council Resolution 1244 in June 1999, it included Italian Cabernari, French Gendarmerie, and Estonian military police, and it reported directly to the Kosovo force commander. This rapid deployment was useful in preventing a return of major violence. What force deploys is as important as how quickly it deploys. For example, several agencies could pull together a team with the right technical skills given enough time, but that would not meet the requirements outlined above. Consequently... The ability to rapidly deploy a fully capable SPF is important. It provides an opportunity for high-end police forces to gain positional advantage against current or potential adversaries such as criminal groups or insurgents. In the immediate aftermath of a major combat, this is often referred to as the quote-unquote golden hour. And remember that. This is what we're in right now, the golden hour. Well, let's talk it about includes that. What's a golden hour? Well, I'll go get into that into the in the next sentence here. It includes a time frame of several weeks to several months during which external intervention may enjoy some popular support and international legitimacy, and when potential spoilers may have insufficient time to organize. During this period, efforts by outsiders can prevent or trigger a spiral of conflict that becomes an insurgency. Intervening early with overwhelming force is easier than trying to retrieve a deteriorating security situation when consent is declining and spoilers are on the offensive. So there you go. What do you think about that? Uh, man, all of this, <laughs> all of this is just, it just shows that they've got this stuff all pre-planned and, and they, they're thinking it out ahead of time. And uh, I mean, who knows how, how far in advance uh, what was the the one you mentioned yesterday? In fact, uh, oh, it was Captain America that they they were already implanting things about beer bug nonsense. I mean, all of this stuff they've got this thought out well in advance, and I do wonder if they've got a certain number of plans already in the works, and then as they gauge our reactions to things, that's what whatever one would work the best is what they throw out next. For instance, 
They didn't get uppity enough about the beer bug, so what they do? They threw out the race card again. You know, I gotta right. tell you, it blows my mind that people fall for that in 2020. Because to me, that's a 1960s problem. I thought we were well past this, and quite honestly, I think we are. Most people don't give a flip about the color of someone else's skin. I can tell you, living in the Deep South, most people don't give a shit. And it just amazes me that the mainstream media can keep this nonsense going 50, 60 years later. But anyway, Wayne, I know that lag always makes us cut each other off. Yeah, that's okay. I mean, it's it's just unthinkable that people have that kind of frame of mind anymore. But uh, you can see what's going on here. It's kind of a crisis situation. And if we go down a couple paragraphs down here, I, and we'll read here again, a crisis begins when U.S. policymakers become aware of a situation that could require U.S. military or SPF operations. This situation could last months, years, or perhaps even decades. During this period, the United States might develop and implement a strategy to shape developments. There you go. That's what they're doing. They're shaping, shaping developments. developments. There you go. Including military engagement. This could include pre-positioning equipment and supplies, <coughs> pallets of bricks, developing <laughs> contingency plans, and conducting specific training and exercises. The U.S. operation in Haiti is a good example. Three years elapsed between the overthrow of President Jean Burand Artis, uh, what's his name, Ar Artistide, and the initiation of Operation Uphold Democracy. There was a substantial time lag between the original events at the decision and the decision to initiate operations as the international community employed political pressure, the economic sanctions, and eventually the threat of military force to secure President Aristide's restoration. The same was true in Bosnia, Croatia, and Slovenia, and blah, 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 and who cares, right? Uh, but uh, here's, here's the crux. Um, where are we at? Military planning begins when commanders commence planning for operations. Joint operational planning involves preparation for the employment of military power within the context of a military strategy to obtain objectives by shaping events. There it is again. Meeting foreseen contingencies and responding to unforeseen crises. This includes two types unforeseen. of planning. Unforeseen. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think they've foreseen an awful lot just putting this document together. This includes two types of planning, deliberate and contingency. Deliberate planning is a process that may take place long before deployments are imminent, whereas contingency planning occurs when events dictate. We are concerned with the point at which events cause planners to begin contingency planning with the intent of directing forces to deploy. Once the crisis is defined, additional actions may include mobilizations, tailoring of forces, and other pre-deployment activities, initial overflight permissions and or deployment to a theater, employment of ISR assets, and development of mission-tailored command and control, intelligence, force, protection, and logistical requirements and support, and complete the plan. So there you go. There's an admission right here that uh, they deploy forces to shape the events going on so that they could uh, achieve the objectives that they're looking for. With They've been these deploying them for six months to a year getting ready for this. Precisely. That's yeah. where it's all at. You're right, David. Absolutely. On point. Huh, why did your screen jump down, David? That's very odd. Oh, well, I'm not going to keep monkeying with it. 
Can you hear me okay? Did we no, lose your small. bandwidth? No, I'm good. Oh, okay. How weird. Your screen got smaller. <laughs> I like it smaller. Oh, okay, I'll leave it alone. Then. Oh, now I'm big. I'm smaller. <laughs> it's because I took his place. Aha! There he is. Oh, Baldini has is. joined us. Hey, guys. Hey. Hey, man. Welcome to the, the, the chat here, buddy. To the, ga- to the Gab Fest? It is yes, indeed. That's quite quite a document you got there. Man, you guys get the good stuff. <laughs> and we didn't even make Dude, I got a whole library full of these things. Man, you got to share. You got to share more of those things. Every time I read them, my eyes bug out of my head. I'm like, what the hell? They've been telling us for a long time, or at least telling each other. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, my God. They they have to these guys have been stroking each other off about the crap they're going to do to us for <laughs> decades. I mean, let's be blunt here. They are sitting around in back rooms going, ah! Thank you for that. I appreciate that visual. Awesome. It's a great visual, right? Yeah. Baldini is indeed here, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, let me make the announcement. He has joined us. So, what are your thoughts on this? As always, on natural. So, now that you mentioned stroking each other. (laughs) David said earlier he wasn't wearing pants, and I'm like, I got you one better. That was only for the cat. (laughs) I got you one better, man. <laughs> oh my. Oh my. <laughs> now we know what all that flashing is going on at Jason's place. There hey, look, man. <laughs> <laughs> it just makes him uncomfortable because I do the poppycock report uh, very early in the morning with uh, with his beloved uh, Rose. You do. She, she's like, Do you have to keep reminding me that you're naked? I'm like, No. <laughs> I don't have to. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to bust up the conversation, man. I just. Uh, all right, so serious business here. Very okay, serious. serious. I'm very serious now. Let's yeah. All right, so uh, what do you think about the Bland Corporation and what we've been discussing here? I, I know you've been in, in the chat room for a while, so I know you you're pretty well caught up here. Yeah, caught up. Um, yeah, the I mean, the, the, again, it's it's no surprise. I I actually looked at at the document a little bit earlier today when I saw that you had posted the um, uh, posted the link and. and <laughs> It's just like all the others. I mean, they just they lay it out pretty pretty straightforward that they have these these plans, and now we're seeing them come to fruition. It shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. And uh, you know, again, anyone who says, "Oh, the conspiracy tinfoil hat thing," I'm like, <laughs> okay, Faraday fedora, whatever. But uh, <laughs> they've been telling us very clearly uh, what they have in mind, and now they're implementing it. it shouldn't be a surprise, right? Uh, what? Why well, I haven't talked to you in a couple of days. So, what do you think about the things that have been going on in the past week? It's poppycock. I mean, I think the only, I don't know. Um, It seems like every day that goes by, they are less and less likely to be pulling back from the brink. Um, Every day I get notices that uh, local places outside um, Seattle proper, like Bellevue, Linwood, Edmonds, they're all putting curfews in effect because of the, you know, supposed riots going on elsewhere. There was some unrest and some stuff that happened downtown Saturday in downtown Seattle, but not to the degree that um, surrounding communities uh, should be doing this. They're they're putting curfews in effect from 5 p.m. to 5 a.m. Um, this is tantamount to, to martial law without the, the nasty name. They're, they're breaking it out. So, um, certainly yeah. worth keeping an eye on. You know, again, I'm not, I'm not freaking out. I'm going, you know, going to work every day. I haven't changed anything um, other than, you know, the hours that I work since this whole thing started. Um, my wife, uh, I don't know if I told you this, she went out yesterday for the first time in, I don't know, weeks. And, and we went to the store and she was like, oh my God, it, it's actually happening. People are everywhere and wearing masks. And I'm like, yeah, I told you. She's like, well, yeah, I know how you are though. <laughs> you know, when you say everyone, you mean like, you know, 
50, 60 percent. I'm like, no, everyone's wearing a mask. She's like, holy shit. I got to go home. <laughs> she, we got up. We got up for like five minutes. She's like, I got to go home. This is bullshit. No, Every time I go out and uh, go to a store where it, everyone's wearing masks, it just it really brings my heart down. I went to Costco today and um, walked right in. No problem. No one said anything. I'm in the back in the you know in the fruit in the area and this young girl comes up to me she goes excuse me you you have to have a mask on i go no i have a medical condition i i can't wear one she goes well people are complaining and i go <laughs> sure I they go, are i go i i think someone did complain to her i go are they the mask police and she goes you you're gonna have to go talk to a manager i go no, you can go talk to a manager, and that was it. And awesome. then, sorry, Karen. Way out. I mean, the the person setting up the checkouts, everything. No one said anything there. Everybody was talking. It was fine. But every single person in that store, employee or person, had a full face mask on, and uh, I can't do it. That's crazy. Oh, by the way, David, I'm Baldini. I'm, we haven't probably. Oh, I guess we did meet on Jaronism one time. So yeah. Okay, yeah, I was gonna say I've, I've got your app. I'm a big fan of your work. So, Thank you. um, yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, it's it's. I had somebody at work. Um, he's just like t- he's a paranoid little cuck, man. He's all terrified. He's like shaking um, when somebody approaches without a mask. It's like, oh my come God. on, dude. Uh, you know, that, people that's need to funny. Grow a pair. I'm a I'm a healthy guy, and and the the people in the store that were freaking out that I wasn't wearing a mask, like as I'm walking towards them, they they would literally run away. Yeah. It's like. What have they done to people's minds? I'm yeah, not seeing it as bad I, here. Is, I know I saw it in um, uh, Home Depot the other day. There was a guy in there, and he's probably six foot one, big burly guy, got a big bushy beard. You know the kind of guy you'd think be like a lumberjack, right? And uh, he's got he's got <laughs> he's his okay. mask on, and I, I approach him to ask him where something was, and I you know I came probably too close, within three feet, and like literally he's sh- visibly shaking, and his voice goes up an octave. He's like, "What? How can I help you? Stay back!" I'm like. No, you, you, you're no help to me. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're no help to me, dude. You, <laughs> you, you and your skirt, man. And, and, and you're I, a I dwarf, so, you know. Because they, they are brainwashed, and I don't mean to be mean about it, but it is just, it's very disappointing to, to see how, how many people are going, I mean, they believe it. They the believe people it. wearing the masks are the people that are going to take the vaccination. Yep, they are. And they're the ones that are going to ask for the gov- government help when when shit hits the fan. They're going to be the ones, yes, suck sucking the big government titty, for sure. I mean, and I mean, so it, so it becomes um, again a pretty good indicator of what I've been saying for a while. These things are litmus tests, right? So um, they clearly identify who is who. That they do absolutely. All right, Wayne, you want to take it to the next? Anyway, part yeah, of the I didn't mean to break up the coverage, so go ahead, Wayne. You That's got, all right. You got yeah. the con, man. Keep going. Oh, okay. Uh, All right. Uh, Let's skip down a little bit here through the document. I'm going down to page 65, and we're going to talk about training. There is no formal DOD definition for training upon which to build. However, there are extensive formal training systems and organizations in the DOD, and they're they're bringing the Department of Defense into this now, (laughs) that have provided intellectual and formal structures to the concept of training, as well as formal training systems and curricula from other sources, such as the police forces in the United States and the SBF-type forces abroad. Hmm. We will not dwell on the formal structures here, but highlight the critical concepts so as not to bias this study towards DOD solutions. <laughs> now, <laughs> but we're now here's the, the thing. Into here. Wayne, let's, we're let's, not going to bias Let's point something out here. 
If it's the DOD, most likely it's going to be military. And it seems to me this whole thing has been about having something, some kind of force that's more powerful than your city police or even your state police, but aren't military. But they're going to have military-style equipment and capabilities, but they're not military, so you're not violating posse commandos. That's what I'm getting out of all of this. What do you think? Right. What do all you guys well, think? That's what I've like taken them. out of all of this so far. Well, it seems like uh, Department of Homeland Security is kind of filling that gap, uh, certainly here in Seattle. They've been, you know, we, we are in um, the middle of a, there's a lot of stuff that happens here that most people don't pay attention to. We have um, very large um, branches of all the military here, a couple of um, submarine pens, um, big, you know, big naval base uh, up in um, Everett and down south. We have the joint um, uh, air base, army base, McCord down there, as well as a lot of the um, alphabet agencies are around here um, because of the Microsoft and Amazon and all the high-tech campuses. Uh, but there's also um, a big uh, Department of Homeland Security stash. And they have, in the last year and a half or so, been very active working with police on regular stuff like drug busts and that sort of thing and working with ICE. So um, it seems as though they may you know, kind of meet, fill that, that gap. And I was kind of concerned about that since they established them in 2001. Uh, just, it just sounded so... Zerfadzerland, right? The Homeland <laughs> Security. It just—it sounded creepy from the outset, and certainly, um, it, I wouldn't be surprised to see them kind of fill that that middle ground and, and uh, you know, fill that uh, posse comitatus loophole and say, "Well, it's not the military, but they're entirely there a military." Go style organization that's it that is what i'm really seeing here yep. they, they want to take things up to the next level without it actually being military so people can't bitch about it the kind of people who would bitch about it uh sadly i think if they keep driving this narrative that they've got going on people are going to start begging for it i mean they're begging for a vaccine aren't they yeah yeah sadly i mean that's that's where we're at so you know i mean that's what we're looking at here people are going to be begging for this military force to maintain order uh within the u.s borders so that's what we're looking at it's it's, yeah. it's crazy especially but, if uh, they bring the power grid down that's going to be that'll be uh, an easy uh -huh. one right they could just flip a switch and say we can't you know provide services anywhere but in these camps and in the major in these big cities um and you know people will beg for it you guys have seen yep. uh the guys in idaho <clears throat> Which the, guys in Idaho? So in Idaho, the stores are open, the kids are in the street playing, and everything as well because everybody is open carrying their AK-47s out there, and they're not letting any looters come in. Um, it, it's it's amazing how many people are fully armed, and everyone's having a good old time. They don't need the military. They don't need the police. Uh, there's no... some. Groups of rioters came riding into town, took one look, turned around, and left. <laughs> that that happened in a, a Snohomish, just a little bit north of where I am at. Um, yeah. The the local folks came out with their weapons, uh, and the busload of Antifa guys showed up, and they made it about ten feet and saw what was happening, and turned right around and got back on the bus. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it made the local paper. They were they were pretty proud of themselves, but yeah. So that that's I'm all for that everywhere. So, you know. They don't need the military. They're, they're, they're people, uh, as Larkin Rose says, you know, you don't need anybody to govern you. You are your own person. And uh, just don't don't get in anyone else's face. That's it. Mind your own business. 
and fortunately, you know, we know that that's what anarchy truly is, and yet the media makes a big deal out of saying that, oh, it's anarchy, right? right. As in, and conflating that with the, you know, with riots and violence, uh, mayhem. And, and all that, yeah, right, exactly. And uh, <clears throat> again, if you, you know, look at the etymology of it, that's <laughs> entirely not what it means. But you know, so yeah, would the, this really be the definition of archy? <laughs> because anarchy is the the opposite of that. So was that archy? Well, we certainly have an oligarchy, and they're working for a tech, or you know, I think it's anarchy. Anarchy. Uh, anarchy. There you go. All right, Snarky Wayne. Snarky <laughs> Wayne, take it anyway. away. Next part. Anyway, back to the document. There are two concepts from the military training paradigm that are important to call attention to: individual skills and unit skills. Individual training yields individual skills, which are the building blocks for all organizations, be, the mili- be they military units, police forces, or businesses. However, police forces approach training differently than does the military. There are two principal differences between police and military training models that we highlight here. The general setting in which training takes place and the primacy of individual or unit training. With regard to the general setting, the military exists to be deployed. When not deployed, its job is to prepare to carry out its anticipated missions if deployed, that is, to train. Historically, this means that military units spend more time preparing to do their missions than actually doing them. The current situation in 2007 in which numerous military units are deployed as often as not is unusual. Almost a whole generation of soldiers who served during the Cold War never saw combat. This is not the case with police forces. Typically, a police officer will attend a police academy for several months and then spend most of his or her career actually policing. Initially, police are under the watchful eye of a more experienced officer, a master journeyman apprentice model for training, in which on-the-job training plays an important part. They are always doing their job rather than training to do it. The second major difference is on the focus of training. While military units place some emphasis on individual skills, they fight as units, and so the primary focus is on preparing units to operate and fight as units. In peacetime, training cycles typically revolve around preparation for large training events involving battalions and sometimes brigades. These events are the culmination of lengthy preparation efforts. Police, on the other hand, typically work as individuals or in small teams. The primacy of effort is on individual policing skills. SPFs present an interesting hybrid of policing and military requirements. Personnel with real police skills and a policing organizational culture would be critical to the success of an SPF. However, because of the circumstances it could face when deployed and the requirement to take on high-end policing tasks against organized and well-armed opponents or to control large crowds, With it will also need yeah, it will also need small unit skills and some military-like training. However, the small unit tasks an SPF will be asked to perform 
will not approach the requirement to deploy and operate as a large unit in the same manner as military units, since the United States has no SPFs from which to gain insights into the balance of these training requirements, Rand Arroyo Center analysts turned to European SPF leaders to ask about their training experiences. Discussion with leaders of European SPFs that have deployed to stability operations indicate that some unit trainings is done through larger unit training is almost exclusively done only to prepare for deployments with U.S. forces on multinational operations. Even when training in these larger units, the operations envisioned do not approach the complexity or require the synchronization of larger military operations. Small unit training is also done occasionally. So basically, uh, let's skip down to the last paragraph here to sum it up. Training is targeted at preparing to conduct tasks when deployed to include unit tasks. In short, the criteria for evaluating options for parent organizations and staffing are does a candidate parent organization option currently have or could it quickly establish the ability to ensure that it, SPF members are trained police officers and that SPFs can conduct small unit operations, for example, platoon and company levels? So you're talking at this is not a standard police force. This is more like uh, deployed as something similar to a SWAT team. I mean, you're talking about uh, group tactics, and, and these are military tactics. They're training these police officers on with this. So this is what we're looking at. This is a, a hybridized training, uh, trying to implement the best worlds of both the civilian police force and the militarized forces. So that's why a lot of times you'll see these local departments will prefer to hire veterans, combat veterans and stuff like that. Same kind of thing, people with well, uh, military experience. One thing that's certain is when you train a police force as a military-style unit, um, they it, instinctively and unavoidably will begin to see everyone as a threat, and so the population becomes their enemy uh, by default. So they're not you know, trying to protect anybody. Um, this is why when they say, oh, I was afraid for my life, probably they were because they've been trained to see everyone as a threat, uh, that they're being targeted, which certainly isn't true. Uh, so – you know, again, when they train them as a military force, uh, they need an enemy, and certainly is what we saw w with, um, you know, the United States after a period of time of not having an enemy. They get bored. They need somebody to drop bombs on, and they're going to see. They see, certainly see the same thing here, and we see it fairly frequently. Fairly frequently, anyway, is when police officers get bored, they go roust um, those to who no one will stand up for: the homeless people, the disadvantaged, the poor. Um, they need somebody to pick on, and unfortunately, the more you militarize them, and more you give them military toys military training, they're going to want to use them. And that that's just the nature of people. Have you noticed that, uh, I don't know how recently this started, but the police in general, whether it's this high-end police crap or if it's just your everyday police, all of a sudden everyone is a, is, is a civilian to them, like, like they're not civilians, that they're some kind of military. Anyone notice yeah, that? They use that term yeah, it's, a it's, lot now. I don't see it as a as a new phenomenon. Maybe we notice it a little bit more, but certainly uh, I don't. I haven't seen it as a new phenomenon. I've watched them for you know a while, and I've got some friends and family who have served in law enforcement, and um, they, they um, always see themselves as sort of um, above the law and you separate. Know, they do separate whatever from the general. Yeah, public. they do what they want with um, they you know professional courtesy is what they call. It. They you know get away with it, <laughs> uh, pretty much whatever whatever they want. Yeah, you know, but seriously, I, like. 
like DWI, you know, drinking while intoxicated or doing pretty much anything, drugs, whatever it is they want. They call it professional courtesy and um, they give each other a pass because they're the thin blue line, right, between between everybody and the bad guys. And they just invent, you know, bad guys. That's really what they do. You, you know, we believe we have, well, we, we don't. We, we're smarter than that. We, <laughs> the people believe we have a media that reports the news and we have police that are here to protect us. But, um, you know, you look at the guys in Idaho. Those are civilians protecting themselves and everybody else around them. Um, no need for police. In New York City, you have police lighting their own vans on fire. You have police watching people loot in, in you know, um, stores that have nothing to do with anything. They're just they're just letting letting it happen. And then, you know, we have independent reporters that are, you know, like Jason Goodman. I don't know if you guys are following him. He roams the streets of New York. Um, he early on, he was going to all of the overwhelmed hospitals showing that they were empty. And now he's walking down and talking to these kids that think that they're doing something positive and confronting these Antifa guys. Um, the the it's. It, that's you know, and then and then pointing out to the police what's going on, and the police just don't care. They're not doing anything. So something has happened to our to our um, our world, and we, you know, the media has been taken over, and I guess the police have been taken over. I mean, are there any police that that can do anything? I, I don't I don't know, David. I mean, you know, it's been proven certainly under case law. Uh, that the whole idea of protect and serve, they're under no obligation whatsoever to protect or serve any of the civilian population. And it seems that the only ones they're protecting and serving are, you know, the corporate fat cats. And when you, you know, look at it, every every city is a corporation. Uh, every department in every city, the fire department, the, the library, all of them are corporations. That means there's a shareholder. And ostensibly, that is supposed to be, you know, the people, but it's not. And, um, uh, you know, you can prove it. You can go to the start digging in the city documents and it doesn't take very long before it all becomes private. Um, it's privately held. So there is somebody ultimately who pulls the strings and whether those who, again, need to know basis, just like everything else, um, they don't know. They just get their orders from above and they just teach them to follow orders just like you would in the military. You don't get to ask. You don't get to question. But somebody's pulling the strings. And uh, it does certainly seem as we observe this latest phenomenon over the past few weeks that um, the, the ones who are making out like bandits are, are again, those who have the money already. So big corporations, they're essential workers. They're essential. McDonald's. Burger King, uh, you know, Target. And so here's a situation where Target gets looted. They become a Target, but they've got insurance. And so they get their entire uh, inventory sold out in 12 hours with no overhead, <laughs> right, at full retail because it's all going to come back in insurance payments, whereas the mom and pops get run out of business just like everybody else because they get burnt down. So it does seem like there there is this dividing line uh, that nobody's really talking about that uh, those who have are making out just like they always do under times of crisis when those who have not or are right there on the edge or, you know, the mom and pops always get uh, the short end of the stick. Well, this whole thing is, well, this this is now a second big kick in the balls to the mom and pops. Yeah, exactly. I mean, how many aren't going to even be able to recover from the first bout? Now there's this nonsense. If something happens to happen to them, I mean, come on, folks. Do, do you not see what's going on here? I, I would like to think that most of you do, but... But most of the people out there do not, right? They're listening to the they're listening to the media. They believe it, and as David said, they believe the media. They believe the media is the fourth estate. Uh, they believe that they are out watching. Well, if that was true, I'd have heard it on the news. 
right? Even in the face of incontrovertible evidence that it's it's held by six corporations at best, and they all sit on each other's board of directors. You don't, I mean, there's no agenda anywhere. Like that, that's never happened. That people uh, lie for advantage. Come on. I mean, I've worked in corporate America long enough to know that every corporation practices. Boy, if not illegal, push it in the edge of the envelope as far as they can. They all do underhanded things, and that's just for money, right? Well, Denny, before you got here, I was talking about um, there's a video showing the police lighting their own van on fire that was obviously filled with, you know, uh, tanks of fuel because it exploded like six times. And they obviously lit it on fire, but there was probably 20, 20 or so police that were involved with that. It was a young woman cop. There was, you know, guys of all all ranks, of, you know, ages and sizes. Like, how can all of them be in on something that insane? I mean, that is inciting a riot, which is going to change the history of New York. And well, none of them are talking to the Brotherhood. Are they being paid? Well, it you may know? be. Again, it may be the story that they're told, right? They might be have been told. And again, consider 20 in, uh, what is there, 6,000 police officers in New York City, something like yeah. that. So we're talking not even, you know, half of, not even a third of a percent there. Um, but the, if they are told that um, this is going to do something good, we're going to draw out certain people. Uh, we start this and this is going to draw out certain people that we're looking for. Or they'll join in and we capture them. Um, some of the agent provocateurs might be, might be told that, you know, if you start this, other people will join and then you, you, pick out those guys so you're actually doing good somebody's going to do it anyway you're going to do it in a controlled fashion and then we're going to pick those guys off they might be convinced of that you know i, I mean again i've known people who work for uh, the intelligence community who literally risked their lives and and they thought they were doing stuff for good and god and country until they realized they were being pitted against another group of intelligence operatives who are like literally trying to kill each other and the strings were being pulled by somebody who just wanted to test out their systems i mean these guys were playing like literally for life and death over a period to four or five years and not knowing that they, it was all fake. It was just bullshit. They were just played against each other um, just to see how their systems worked, right? Just to test um, the robustness of their system. So you know, obviously, um, you, you know, he was a little disillusioned by that. But but again, they had thought for, for they were willing to do anything for a period of time because they thought they were doing it for, you know, bad things for the right reasons. Same, same reasons, you know, Jesuits often did what they were told to do that, um, you know, all things for the glory of God, right? So this, all things for whatever, God and country, whatever motivates them. So whether they're, you know, part of the Masonic community and doing it under that brotherhood or whether um, they, they believe that they're doing something right, I think people had different reasons for doing things. And it's not always, um, you know, just a conspicuously surreptitious skullduggery. Um, it, it, many times, I'm sure it is. Some people seem to get off on it, but it it does seem like there's a lot of, um, you know, the need to know stuff going on at every level. All right, Wayne, take us further. We've only got 20 minutes left. All right. Well, let's kind of uh, focus on the conclusion portion of the document here. Uh, building an SPF, which for anybody just tuning in, SPF um, stands for a Stability Police Force. Uh, and it says, this conclusion leads to several findings on the SPF's makeup. Let's go ahead. They, they, Their analysis, let's skip up, back up. I, I skipped down a little too far. It says, our analysis clearly indicates that the United States needs an SPF or some other way to accomplish the SPF mission. So... Uh, that's what the Rand Corporation's conclusion was, that the, the United States needs a stability police force. So building 
Stability Police Force. This conclusion leads to several findings on the SPF's makeup, objectives, and tasks. Analysis of stability operations over the past two decades indicates that SPFs should have two major objectives. The first is to help establish a secure environment in which people and goods can circulate safely and uh, elicit political and economic activity can take place from intimidate free from intimidation recent history clearly indicates that external assistance is often needed to achieve this goal uh, the second is to help build a high-end indigenous policing capacity so that the host government can establish security on its own and spf's tasks logically flow from these objectives it should perform high-end policing tasks identifying and deterring high-end threats criminal investigations swat crowd control and intelligence collection and analysis, and build the capacity of local high-end forces. An SBF will not solve all of the gaps that exist across the rule of law sector or even the police forces of the host nation, and should not try to. It is only one of several important players. So they're talking about these are the objectives of a uh, stability police force. Uh, it talks about... Identifying and deterring high-end threats, criminal investigations, SWAT, crowd control, and intelligence collection and analysis. And that one still uh, boggles my mind. Uh, that's that's the thing. I mean, police as an intelligence gathering operation. Think about that. Uh, then not further police. down. Yeah, but Wayne, how, how, when when do you think they have not been doing that? Well, I mean. I guess they do to a certain degree or another when they're trying to solve a crime. But, I mean, this this takes it a, a step further. I mean, you're talking intelligence collection indicates... It, evidence that, indicates that the FBI has been doing that since its inception. So it, they're well tied into every police force across the, the nation because they can't be everywhere all the time. So they put their... You know, eyes and ears out there. So they've got contacts in every uh, in every local police force. So they're all collecting information from one another. I don't think. It's, yeah, but I, I don't think they, it's not. They don't have going to, Right, but they don't have the dual use of also doing crowd control and SWAT with it too. So I mean, that's uh, that's certainly know. amped up. That's I mean, you know, and they glorified it during the 1970s. They had a television show called SWAT. Yeah, I remember <laughs> with, that show. with remember an award-winning theme song. Right. So yeah. <laughs> Right, so that was kind of introduced to again to the public eye to show them as heroes and uh, as many yep. of the um, procedural television shows do. That one wasn't done by Isaac Hayes, though. No. <laughs> <laughs> right, but <laughs> just to kind of go back to the document here, though, uh, skipping down a little bit. To the conclusions, it says, of the options considered, this research indicates that the U.S. Marshals Service would be the most likely to successfully fielding an SPF under the assumption that a military police option would not be permitted to conduct policing missions in the United States outside of military installations, except under extraordinary circumstances. Waco. And that doing so is central to an SPF's ability to maintain required skills. While the Marshal Service would have significant challenges in building up to the needed size, it has many of the needed policing skills and could develop the remaining through the hybrid staffing options discussed below. The Army MP Corps has the opposite problem. It has the capacity to take on the task, and arguably it has the skills to do 
the skills due to its efforts in Iraq and Afghanistan. However, its ability to maintain these skills during periods when it is not engaged in large-scale sta- stability operations is constrained by limits placed by the Posse Comitatus Act on its ability to perform civilian policing functions. Without relief from this constraint, listen to the language here, without release, relief from this constraint, it could not take advantage of the opportunities provided by the hybrid staffing option to develop and maintain the needed skills. Furthermore, its focus is contingent on the priorities of the Army leadership and were it to revert to the major combat focus it had from Vietnam until very recently, it could put F's functionality in danger. So listen to the wording there. They're talking about the Posse Comitatus Act as kind of being a uh, a burden to them. Of without relief is. from this constraint. See, that's the thing. So now they're, they're looking, and they have it worded up uh, a little further up there in the paragraph, uh, with the exception of extraordinary circumstances. See... And that's kind of what they're building on right now. Why this whole COVID thing? Why this whole rioting thing? Well, because then that gives them the excuse to bypass posse comitatus and perhaps put the military in the streets. And aren't they employing military troops in several cities now across the nation? Certainly the National Guard. There you go. Yeah. I mean, there's more National Guard deployed right now in the United States than there are U.S. military deployed entirety of the worldwide well look we saw this going on a few months ago Uh, there were numerous even youtube channels reporting on things like military being seen things moving around military being stationed all that and of course everyone was thinking it was because of the beer bug well surprise yeah and they keep, you know, they, they do move things from time to time when we send, we see miles long trains and uh, miles long convoys of it. And they keep saying, well, it's just, it's normal, it's normal. But when it stands out to you, and, you know, I've been around for a long time, I, I've seen small caravans of military stuff, but not 30, 40 miles long, uh, you know. So it I, is what it is. I mean, they're going to say it's, a, it's part of normal maneuvers uh, and, you know, normal stuff, but it, it appears abnormal to me. There's a lot of it happening over the last 18 months. Oh, yes, absolutely. I've seen it even in uh, Baton Rouge before I, I, I moved to the New Orleans area over a year and a half ago. All right, Wayne, we're getting close. Where do you want to go with this? Nope, did we lose I'm um, just kind of scrolling. No, I'm here. Just kind of scrolling down uh, to the end of the document here. Um, let's see. They talk about different options where they could um, actually create a, a new agency. This is the other thing. New agency option. The presumption in creating a new agency is that it would have all the necessary elements to field the most competent SPF the United States can manage. The questions we must address, and therefore ones of viability, are ones of viability and cost. If a new agency were to be created, it would almost certainly be part of an existing department, such as a small organization would not be an independent agency, given the discussion above, which indicates that DOD or DOJ, Department of Justice, are the two most likely homes for a new agency, we will consider these two options. So see, there they go, going back to DOD again, the Department of Defense. A new agency in the Defense Department. If the SPF were to be created as a new agency in the Department of Defense, it could be either a fifth service, probably within the Department of the Army, 
or an agency inside of the Department of the Army, but outside of the Army as a service. Since it would be too small to warrant being an independent service, we will consider the latter option. As an independent agency in the Department of the Army, this option would have several advantages. First, it would be insulated from the quote-unquote military culture of the Army and would be far more likely to develop a policing culture that would permit it to perform better in all of the SBF tasks than an MP unit, even a specialized one, in the Army. Second, it would be able to leverage parts of the Army's institutional capabilities to help to accomplish its mission. For example, SBF personnel could attend classes run by and develop doctrine and coordination with the Army MP School and send medical supply and maintenance personnel to the appropriate army schools this makes good sense especially since we envision the spf using army equipment for the most part what does that tell you we know about how these military surpluses are being bought up by police forces right or donated or being depl- or donated yeah yeah furthermore under these arrangements spf personnel could have military rank and be subject to the UCMJ and protected by international laws and bilateral agreements. For example, the Geneva Convention Status of Forces Agreements. However, it is unlikely that a military agency would be permitted to perform domestic policing functions as noted in discussion above. Because of this, the new agency would likely perform SPF functions better than the MP option due to a better ability to create a policing culture but worse than the marshal service option due to the fact that it could not do policing tasks day to day. Creating such an agency would require overcoming significant bureaucratic impotence as it would likely compare or compete for resources with the MPs for police officers, a pool insufficiently large according to policing statistics, as well as with the Army as a service. The fact imposes a significant amount of uncertainty about the viability of this option. The costs of this option would be essentially the same as for the MP option outlined above. In summary, this option would dominate all MP options in terms of its ability to perform the SPF's function when deployed, but would fall short of the capabilities of civilian options unless it was permitted to perform civilian policing functions when not deployed. It would also be very difficult to bring into being due to a bureaucratic pressures against this, its creation. And uh, then we might as well just finish this off here, the last uh, two big paragraphs here. A new agency in the Justice Department. Creating a new SPF agency in the Department of Justice would require limited additional civilian overhead beyond the Marshal Service option. A new agency in the DOJ would also not have an existing institutional culture. Unlike a military option in which building a new culture would help build a true police organization, in the DOJ, this could have positive as well as negative effects. In particular, the ability to create a culture focused only on the SPF mission would have salutary effects on the SPF's capability but culture is in many ways the glue that holds an institution together and defines how it approaches its tasks. An existing culture that is similar to that needed by the SPF would likely render a force capable of performing its mission more quickly 
than starting from scratch, and the Marshal Service is well-suited for the SBF mission. Whether this factor is an overall positive or negative issue depends on the rapid rapidity in which the SBF should be fully functional, as well as the Marshal Service willingness to embrace the SPF mission. Creating a new policing agency in the DOJ would necessarily create competition for resources and personnel with the DOJ's other law enforcement agencies. This could exasperate the bureaucratic impedance that attends any major organizational change into outright opposition. The cost for creating such an agency would not be significantly more than the Marshal Service option. As such, this option has only limited benefits over the Marshal Service. Since the organization's mission and culture are sufficiently similar to what's needed for the SPF to make it viable, it could be significantly more difficult to implement. Furthermore, it could be implemented. It would take more time to get off the ground and become capable of performing its mission. So basically, at the end here, they discuss a couple different options, and the likely options that they're coming up with is to use the Marshal Service in order to implement this whole thing or have it as a sub-department under the Department of Defense. And well, those let me, are the two um, options we're looking at. Well, there, there are more than that. So let me quote now a couple of Forbes articles. Uh, the first one, this is from 2017, uh, that the um, a, a number of non-military, supposedly non-military agencies have spent uh, over $158 million in the last um, – this was fiscal year 2015 through 16. Um, they spent $158 million on new guns and ammo, including um, Internal Revenue Service. And there's another Forbes article uh, from 2019, January 2019. IRS has 4,500 guns and 5 million rounds of ammunition. That's the IRS. Uh, Small Business Administration uh, spent tens of thousands of dollars on taxpayer dollars to load its gun locker with Glocks. And the Fish and Wildlife Department modified their Glocks with silencers. Again, this is from a nineteen, or rather, a twenty seventeen article. The um, Wildlife Department, Department of Veter- <laughs> Veterans Affairs, um, has the relatively new police force. Um, they uh, now have more than thirty six hundred officers, and they're uh, armed with AR fifteens. Department of Health and Human Services, GDSHS, the guys who give out the food stamps, um, they now have a gun locker uh, and a new National Training Operations Center, uh, and so they have spent uh, more than a um, hundred million dollars um, between. Again, all these non typically non military things, and so uh, 1.4 billion spent by 67 non military federal agencies uh, on and guns, ammunition, and military style equipment from 2006 to 2014. That's according to Forbes magazine. 1.48 billion, uh, and that's uh, all those. Um, again, DS- DSHS really, <laughs> Health and Human Services, right? Um, Small Business Administration, what? Department of Veterans Affairs. Uh, this is uh, and the post office. Uh, the post office now has more than three million rounds of ammunition themselves, and that's not even really a federal government agency. It's they're considered government employees, but still. Um, so if they want to pull the trigger, and that's not even counting uh, Department of Homeland Security, which is absolutely a paramilitary force. Uh, so um, they're just uh, again secretly. I don't know. These are public records, but. Um, they're certainly not announcing it on the evening news, right? If it was true, true it'd be in the news. <laughs> here, here it is, Forbes magazine, um, <laughs> t- telling you. I just find it a little bit disturbing that the uh, Fish and Wildlife Department has silencers on their guns. They got to be quiet. They, they don't want. They don't want to season. They don't want to. You don't want to scare the fish. <laughs> Come on, Wayne. They don't want. They don't want to spook the wildlife. Exactly. They don't want to scare the fish away. It's wabbit season. So. 
<laughs> um, again, if you guys, uh, I don't know, if you guys doubt it, here's a couple of articles I'll just spam in the chat. You can check them out yourselves. As I always say, don't don't believe what I have to say. That's um, uh, Forbes, and this is the older Forbes um, article about uh, multiple agencies. And again, the tie, the headline says 138 million, but uh, they're talking between 20, uh, 2006 and 2014. And again, you know, that's six years ago, uh, they had spent uh, more than a billion and a half on 67, uh, you know, non-military agencies. Uh, again, as tame as the DSHS, really? I mean, again, these are the food stamp people. This, this, this is supposed to be helping out the homeless, but uh, they got a gun locker. So, so let's uh, yeah. let's speculate here for a moment. Did they not create an, a new agency as per this document, but actually just ramped up a whole bunch of other agencies that already exist? That's what it seems like to me. Yeah. Outside even the Department of Justice, they put it saying. under a bunch of different federal agencies to hide it. Uh, and now, and then they can train special agents. Each one of them has departments that they have their special agents. And uh, ostensibly, all those guys would suddenly be called up and work together. So they've been trained by the same people. Um, you know, it just they have they're under different the auspices of different agencies that get paid a little bit differently, but ultimately probably report to the same guys. So, so we're just about like the, the end here. Structure for it's all in place. It absolutely looks like the infrastructure. Yeah. And again, um, yeah. what we're not being told is some of the stuff that would be considered national security, like FEMA, Homeland Security. Uh, and certainly, again, uh, even though, we, again, we talked several times about Posse Comitatus being a restriction, you know, again, like everything else, their ability to, to stand by it is another thing entirely. They showed up in Waco uh, during that whole thing, you know, years ago. Uh, at, immediately. And uh, because, you know, they, they were asked to, so they showed up. <laughs> Nobody... You know, no, nobody asked them to, but uh, Janet Reno. So, in, in any case, they've been, uh, you know, prepping for this for a while. So they make fun of us, uh, people who, are, you know, they say preppers, uh, but certainly they've been doing a good deal of prepping on their own. All right. Well, again, a very sobering document that we went through here. Shall we go around the horn and give final thoughts, David? Um, am I on mute? No, I'm not on mute. I hear you. You're not a mute. Have, yeah. I, I can never tell which one is mute. I have listexia, <laughs> so I get it backwards. Um, it sounds like everything, you know, th this has been in, in the works forever. I mean, they've been planning this for decades, and it's here. And um, they're just rolling it out as fast as they can because everybody's just sitting and, and allowing it. Nobody's pushing back. I mean, these these riots, they're, they're, they're trying to teach people how to riot they're, they're they want it they because that'll that'll let them bring it in even faster so you know will it be exactly what they're saying in there uh, no, i think they're just going to transmute the police force into this new thing yeah yeah i can agree with that baldini uh, well, I'll just add to that what what David said and go and keep in mind that they've now set a precedent uh, that uh, our uh, our ag agreements and and treaties with, for example, the UN trumps uh, in even the U.S. Constitution. So uh, they could at any time flip over. They say we've lost our sovereignty already by treaty uh, to the United Nations. So if the United Nations said so, I mean, they already have United Nations guards at many of the national parks. So uh, they could easily flip that and say, well, posse combatatus does, doesn't matter. This is the UN. Right. Uh, and they could they could put the UN hat on 
Uh, I know a couple of people who served in the military and um, special forces, and uh, you know, one of them I know for certain uh, was asked to, to join a UN um, troop, uh, you know, the kind of the U.S. contingent to the UN uh, troop, and he had to sign paperwork saying he, that he would, under orders, fire on U.S. citizens, and that was part of the. Ouch. And this was a long time ago, and oh. he said that made him. Very uncomfortable, but but that was part of the thing. And this was like 1994, something like that, 495, um, that he had to he, that he under orders he would fire on uh, unarmed U.S. civilians. They were explicit uh, about that, and he said even at that time, uh, and he you know had gone to um, uh, the first Iraq War, um, Desert Shield, and uh, he said that his entire platoon was you know had uh, RFID chips implanted in them. So um, that was I've heard stories long. About yeah, a long time ago. So, uh, in any case, it seems like again w they could have armed all these um, sixty-seven plus agencies up, uh, but all they have to do is just uh, you know give it over and say it's a UN operation. We don't really have control over it, and you bypass the whole thing right there. So, doesn't matter whether it's FEMA or DHS or you know the local police force. I, I think in some cases you would have more difficulty with the local police force being willing um, to fire on people that they know, especially in smaller towns, um, because you, you have a number of like for example sheriffs in Washington and. Oregon, uh, who say that they wouldn't enforce these lockdown rules, that kind of stuff. So um, there is, I, I think, from a command and a logistics standpoint, some potential problems there in, in getting some compliance from the officers, which is why a national force is probably more likely um, some sort of militarized thing. And, and again, the UN, you could bring people from China, right? So uh, troops from Germany, China, they bring, then they wouldn't care because it's not, you know, not their. Um, their homeland. So in any case, yeah, there's a lot of different ways around it, but it does seem, uh, as David said, uh, and as Wayne has said all night, that they've been planning for this for some time and pre preparing for it uh, while telling us to look the other way. Just trust the plan. Just trust the plan. Cue and Captain Picard. All right, let's get ready to sign off here. David, I didn't uh, suggest this to you earlier, but why don't you tell people who you are and talk a little bit about the app and all that good stuff before we go away? Um, I'm... David Weiss. My YouTube channel is D-I-T-R-H. Stands for Deep Inside the Rabbit Hole. Um, most of the videos on my channel are under five minutes, many under two minutes because uh, a lot of people have short attention spans. And um, I mostly focus on uh, proving that we don't live on a spinning globe flying through an infinite universe. And uh, I created an app called the Flat Earth, Sun, Moon, and Zodiac Clock app. If you just search in the App Store or the Google Play Store for Flat Earth, it's a top hit. Uh, and it is a great way to teach yourself and teach other people about um, the globe that we don't live on. So I recommend people to get it. Also, for those of you that have it, um, I'm having, there's an issue with uh, the put. I do a push notification every day that tells you what the the new featured video is. You might not have been getting those for the last week, so but the the, the video's still there. So you just have to remember, you know, when you get up in the morning and you're making your breakfast and doing your thing, hit the app, hit watch the video every day, and you'll become a more knowledgeable globe denier. By the way, if everyone has not had enough of my sarcastic little self, I am almost. Always joining David and our mutual friend Jaron every Monday on Jaronism Raw on TFR. Also, I frequently am on the uh, Jaronism Lounge on Fridays, and we always have good and interesting chats there. Uh, Baldini, why don't you let everyone know what you do, because you've got your own things going on now as well. I just have the Sun, Moon, and Zodiac app, and I just watch it all the time. 
Uh, oh, but also I appear uh, with your lovely uh, other half, Rose, uh, Tuesday and Thursday morning, 6 o'clock uh, on the West Coast, 9 o'clock on the East Coast. Uh, we do the Poppycock Report, and we just take a look at all the poppycock and bullshit that's going on and try to put a lighthearted spin on it, uh, as well as, uh, you know, just make fun of stuff. And then I do a Saturday live stream, uh, 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, um, where it's called Unintended Consequences, and that's the name of my channel, uh, where I talk about the Awakening Project and some people's uh, journeys to wake up uh, and how we got there and what we can do um, from here. So hope you join me, and um, it's always a fun hanging out with the – oh, and then Wayne and I are doing a <laughs> – I forgot. Uh, yeah, Wayne and I are going to do a thing on uh, Sunday morning, Sunday morning, 7 a.m. Pacific um, and uh, 10 a.m. East Coast time. Uh, we're going to take a look at some biblical stuff, some scripture, some comparative uh, scripture, different kinds of things. So we're going to look at that sort of stuff for anybody who's interested in that. So anyway, uh, all, all over the place, uh, I'm staying busy and um, yeah, love hanging out with you guys always. Wayne, in case anyone's been living under a tree, why don't you let everyone know what you do? Uh, I'm a guy that does a little bit of everything, pretty much. Uh, I've got two books out there right now, currently available on Amazon or at any much, pretty much any other fine book retailer. Working on the third book, doing a lot of these shows lately. Been behind a microphone quite a bit lately. Uh, Valdi and I will be doing the show on Sunday. We're going to take a look at back at the book of Genesis and start in the beginning there. So that's going to be an interesting conversation we have there, too. And, uh, you know, I can be found over at uh, Files from the Conspiratorium on Facebook or check out my YouTube channel, Alchemical Tech Revolution. And if anybody wants to get in touch with me, it's alchemicaltechrevolution at gmail.com. And I would urge everybody stay safe out there. Please monitor the CDC guidelines while you're looting. Six feet apart for the brick throwers. Only ten of it, looters at a time. In the store. Uh, and wear your masks. So, yeah, make your sure mask. you have your masks on and your umbrella. You know. Don't forget. Oh, don't forget your don't umbrella. Forget the umbrella. That's an important thing to have. So it you can important. deflect those rogue bricks just in case. Yeah, the the brick particles and the flying glass exactly. And if you set your own squad car on fire, there you go. <laughs> Make sure to turn the body. The body camera has to be um, just malfunctioning at that point. And Fauci says only 50 looters per city block. Okay. All right, that's going to do it for us. Tune in tomorrow to Crow Triple Seven Radio. Uh, we will be releasing episode 224 with Wayne McCroy, myself, and Crow Triple Seven on uh, masks and all things to do with the masks and the masquerade. And then, of fun. course, I'm sorry. Fun. Oh, it's it's a lot of fun, Wayne. Wayne. Uh, thank you, Wayne. You did it all. Let me just be totally honest here. Thank you for doing that because, uh, man, this the past week and a half, I've literally had the shit pounded out of me with what's been going on. Thank God it's slowly almost, well, it's almost over. Let's put it that way. All right. That's going to do it, folks. Thank you so much to everyone for being here. We had uh, close to 600 people uh, on YouTube and 150-something on, on DLive. I'm, I'm happy with that. So that's great. Thank you to uh, everyone f- for showing up, and we will see you later.
Too soon.